turn to Revelation chapter 1. Once you get there, also, if you would, uh, turn to Revelation, forgive me, Isaiah 11. Mark that spot also. We'll make our way there uh, in a few minutes. Uh, so Revelation 1 this morning and Isaiah uh, 11. So this morning, as you know, we uh, will begin a study through uh, the book of Revelation. I think it's, uh, it's fitting for a couple of reasons. I think I've mentioned uh, the last time we studied verse by verse through Revelation was uh, 2016. So it's, it's been a while. We're due. Uh, but also uh, fits very well with uh, the allusions to um, the second coming of Christ, uh, the tribulation period, uh, the millennium that we've seen uh, in our study through Isaiah. Uh, and so it, it just fits, Zach. So I think it makes, makes good sense to uh, to revisit our, our study through Revelation um, at this time. Um, did I pray? Okay, I prayed. Good. Uh, take your introduction sheet, if you would, please. I'm going to cover just a little bit of this, see a few things here. Um, number one, the meaning of Revelation, Greek word, uh, means uncovering. It's also translated light, lighten, manifestation, coming, uh, or appearing. The idea would seem to be the Lord here is revealing uh, we'll see here in our outline things uh, which, which are and things which uh, shall be. Of course, the book is primarily about uh, prophecy, things that are future. Uh, it deals largely with the tribulation, uh, not exclusively, but largely uh, with the tri tribulation period. So the Lord is revealing, Brother Ray, great details, uh, uncovering or, or revealing uh, the events uh, of the tribulation period uh, and more. Uh, give you some information here. Of course, we know that the writer, the penman of the book, is is John. Uh, that's made quite clear. You have some information here about John. You you can review that. Uh, the date be uh, of course uh, the the tail end of the first century. Uh, it would seem that John uh, is now um, uh, on the island Isle of Patmos. Uh, he's essentially a prisoner there, uh, and the Lord uses that time in this most miraculous way to reveal to him uh, all, all of the truth uh, of this book. Uh, we'll see here in, in the first chapters um, that the book is, is written, Brother A, uh, to believers in general, uh, but also to a number of churches of John's day uh, specifically. And you, you know this, there's seven churches in the book uh, that are addressed uh, specifically. Uh, I see that uh, first chapter in verse four. Uh, we see references to uh, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, uh, and Laodicea, the lukewarm folks at Laodicea, right, right Zach? So, each of these churches is addressed specifically. Now, uh, sometimes when you're reading, you'll see the suggestion that these aren't literal churches, uh, but rather they're time periods. They're, they're periods of history, uh, and the Lord is dealing with some of the, the issues in specific uh, periods of history. I know that's a theory uh, that's out there. You'll encounter that um, if you read. Um, my, my feeling is that we know that these are literal churches, Brother Gary, uh, of, of that time. Uh, there's no reason in my mind to not read it uh, as literal churches. We know, we know that they're literal churches, and therefore it's quite reasonable. Uh, and the, the plain reading of the text would be that John is uh, writing to, as the Lord has led him to write to, 
uh, literal churches. He seems to address or, or make reference to pastors uh, in those churches. And so uh, I would submit to you this morning that there's no reason uh, in the world to, uh, to understand that these are anything but literal churches. Um, the book is primarily about the revelation of Christ uh, as he's uh, dealing with uh, people in those churches in John's day, uh, but also dealing uh, with people in the tribulation. Uh, I have a whole paragraph here. I'm tempted to read the whole thing, Brother Gary. I don't think I will, but you, ask you to take a look at this. Uh, number five, uh, the Christology of Revelation. Christ is revealed and revealed uh, and revealed, Sister Janet. He's called the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, uh, the prince of the kings of, of the earth, the one who loved us and washed us from our sins, uh, the one who will come in clouds, the, uh, the alpha and the omega. You just go on and on and on. I encourage you, uh, as we're studying through the book, I want to encourage you to be reading through it as well, uh, to be looking for these descriptions, descriptions of Christ, uh, all of these wonderful descriptions of Christ that reveal uh, his character, who he is, what, what he's like, and uh, that, that'll be a, a great encouragement to you as we do that. Uh, yes, sir. Well, he's, he's I, I guess, in a sense, he, he, would, he would be the first uh, after the cross would be the idea, I think, um, when, when he's called the first of the dead. We, we know that others were risen from the dead uh, before that. Uh, he, he would be the first following the cross, um, certainly. So I think, I think that, that's the idea. That's how I understand that, at least. Uh, we have another discussion about that, but that, I think that's a good way to understand that. Um, it's, one, it's an example of one of those things where you, you read it and you say, well, I kind of wonder about that, but uh, clearly the Lord um, is uh, writing it in a way that is truthful and can be understood in a way that's not conflicting. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting uh, question to think about and debate, but certainly uh, he's, he's the first risen uh, following the cross. Others arose at the same time, we know, but he, he's the first. I have an outline uh, of the book that is given in the book. So you're in Revelation 1. Uh, go over to uh, verse 19. Uh, here, John uh, is commanded uh, of the Lord to uh, see this with me, please. John, uh, Revelation 1:19. Write the things uh, which thou hast seen. Well, of course, the book is pr primarily visions that the Lord has given him. Write the things which you have seen. Uh, and the things which are, so in his day, uh, and the things which shall be hereafter. And, uh, Brother Ray, that's what he's commanded to write down, and um, this would seem to be an inspired outline of the book uh, right here in verse 19. As we get into the book, you'll see that's exactly what John does. He, uh, he shares what, what the Lord has shown him. Uh, he shares things that are in his day, uh, and then, of course, the bulk of the book being prophecy regarding things which uh, would come after, uh, after, and which are uh, still future to us, of course. So uh, this is uh, kind of an interesting uh, opportunity to say the Lord has given us uh, an inspired outline of the book, and, and, and sure enough, it is just that. Um, 
Now, there's a few things to be aware of in, in terms of how people view the book. Number seven in the outline, um, we're going to say that uh, the things that uh, verse 19 is, is literally true. John's going to write about some things that are, uh, some things that he has seen, some things that are, and some things that, that will come uh, hereafter. Now, uh, some want to hold that um, some of the events or perhaps even the bulk of what we would view as prophecy uh, has already been fulfilled. Zach, when is John writing? When is John writing? He's writing, we, we said probably around, if you look at number three, uh, AD 95, 96. Uh, some want to argue that the bulk of what we would view as future prophecy regarding the tribulation uh, was fulfilled with um, things that happened with the destruction of the temple around A.D. 70. Now, if John is writing at the end of the first century, um, does it make sense that things that would be future to him could already have been fulfilled 20 years earlier? That doesn't make sense logically. Uh, and, and yet, there is this view, number seven, the preterist view, that will argue that much of what is called hereafter uh, was in fact fulfilled in the first century uh, and really would have ha had to have been fulfilled uh, prior to the end of the first century, around the time of the, the Jewish revolt and the destruction uh, of the temple by the Romans. Uh, Brother Ray, you, you've heard me argue before, I just don't think that makes any sense at all. Uh, I do note here that that idea was championed by a, a British theologian named Henry Hammond, Brother Garcia, even though it was championed by a man named Hammond uh, and remains popular among some today. We're going to reject it, okay? Uh, but, but you'll hear this, the, the so-called preterist view. Um, I think there's, there's some people in our church even that um, you know, see this as a view having some um, having some merit, but I, I would argue against it. So uh, we're going to reject that view and say, hey, the Bible says as, as John's writing, uh, the bulk of what he's writing would, would be future to him um, and indeed would seem to be still future to us. Now, uh, with that said, as we go through the book, you'll see that uh, once we get beyond the messages to the seven churches, uh, pretty clearly, the bulk of the book is chronological. It's laying out the various judgments uh, that the Lord will meet out during the tribulation period. So following the rapture, uh, the tribulation period will be initiated. You recall everything looks pretty good uh, for the first uh, three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation period. Uh, and then the Lord begins to, uh, to meet out judgment uh, that he uses to bring uh, people to Christ. That's, that's not an unfamiliar idea. Um, so you'll see that, uh, again, the bulk of the book is going to lay out those things, those judgments, very uh, chronologically. And yet there are some chapters that seem to break from the chronology. There's sort of these uh, parenthetical chapters which deal with maybe related ideas but aren't part of the chronology. We'll point those out when we get there, and I've also pointed them out on the outline of the book on, on the back side. But you'll see uh, chapter 7, chapters 10, 11, and 12, chapters 17 and 18 seem to break from the chronological nature of the book and deal with some 
uh, topics or themes that relate to the chronology but aren't really part of the timeline of events. So that's good to keep in mind. Um, this book is, again, once we get beyond the messages to the churches uh, in John's day, it's a, it's a prophecy of chronological events or the timeline of the tribulation. But here and there, we'll see some chapters that pull back from the timeline, deal with some topics that relate to it, and then jump back onto uh, the timeline. So be aware of that. We'll point that out um, along the way. On the back side here um, is uh, an outline of, of the book, chapter by chapter. Uh, I've borrowed this, uh, Brother Ray, from several men and sort of taken the, the best of what I've seen from a number of men uh, kind of offered you an outline based on uh, what other men have stated. So uh, we'll see here the things that John has seen. Once we get through the introduction uh, in chapter one, the first, uh, well, the next two chapters, chapters two and three, uh, we'll address that part of the outline. Uh, the things that are um, the messages to the churches, uh, the churches that were literal churches in John's day, uh, the Lord has messages for them. Uh, and then beginning in chapter 4 all the way through the end, uh, chapter 22, uh, things which shall be hereafter, the uh, timeline uh, of the tribulation and the judgments, uh, keeping in mind that some of these chapters are sort of, sort of parenthetical. Um, you look down toward the bottom of the page, but when we get to uh, chapter 20, uh, we're through the tribulation period at that point. Uh, we, we'll deal, we'll, we'll see allusions to the uh, millennial reign of Christ. Uh, we'll see Satan being bound for a, a thousand years. We'll see the great white throne judgment. Uh, and then chapters 21 and 22, uh, eternity, the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, uh, and, and so forth. So uh, this is an exciting book. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, got a lot of doctrine that we need. Um, of course, um, but it gives us a great deal of detail regarding future things. And so uh, my hope is this will be a great help and encouragement to us. The doctrine, uh, the revelation of Christ, uh, everything that we can learn about Christ throughout this book, uh, but, but also just the uh, amazing privilege that it is to be able to see all of the detail uh, regarding the coming tribulation period and how the Lord uh, will use that. Now, is this a book that has some challenges? Certainly it is. Uh, it, it's a book that uh, is difficult at times and uh, frankly is open to interpretation. And I know some people have seen certain things a little bit differently than I have. Sister Janet, that's okay. Um, I think that um, we have to be gracious with each other uh, in, in any Bible study, certainly, but um, Revelation is a book that is uh, perhaps um, the most challenging. There's others that can be very challenging also. Uh, you may see something slightly differently. You may see something a lot differently, but uh, we'll be gracious and, and consider each other's perspectives along the way. But uh, I've read a lot, I've studied a lot, and certainly I think we're, we're basically on the same page with, with the bulk of things, but uh, if, if you've seen something a little bit differently than, than I uh, teach it, 
uh, come, come talk to me about that. We'll, we'll talk through that and, and hopefully uh, at the end of the study here, we'll, we'll all land in the same place. Gary, if not this side of heaven, we know that when we're home with the Lord, uh, he'll perfect our understanding of all things. That'll include the pastor also, right? Okay, so um, what is it? Yeah, 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 and we'll do that in some places. Hey, this is this is a difficult, uh, you know, some difficult imagery here. Uh, here's here's some possibilities, and I'll share kind of what I think uh, based on my study where the word Lord gives me peace. But yeah, there's going to be some places where uh, there could be s uh, several possibilities, and of course we've we uh, you've heard me offer that in certain points in our study in Isaiah as well. Uh, this difficult verse or difficult passage, here, here's a couple of possibilities, here, here's what I think. Um, so, yeah, I'm not going to, uh, where something is, is difficult, especially difficult, I'm not going to jump up and down and insist that you see it uh, exactly the same way I do. But our, our goal uh, will be uh, to arrive at a shared understanding of God's word, certainly, that, that, that's our goal. And so um, that's all good. Uh, Revelation 1 uh, and verse 1, uh, the prologue, the introduction uh, to the book. Boy, there's, there's much revealed here uh, just in how John uh, receives these words. Now, uh, Brother Ray, we, we know that uh, the word of God is given by inspiration, and that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, but John, John reveals uh, a little bit more of the mechanics uh, by which the words come to him here in uh, the first couple of verses, and it's, it's just very interesting, and, and, and what a privilege. So let me read the first, the first two verses here. Uh, he writes, John writes, the revelation of Jesus Christ, uh, which God gave unto him. The words of God are forever settled in heaven, of course, uh, to show unto his servants uh, things which must shortly come to pass. Uh, and he sent and signified it by his angel uh, unto his servant John, uh, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things uh, that he saw. Boy, there's a lot there. Uh, we could spend a lot of time here. For time's sake, we won't. But uh, I just think it's very interesting that you, you have the privilege to see here that uh, I believe you can see here that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are involved here uh, in transmitting the words of God to John. We think about this as being the exclusive ministry uh, of the Holy Spirit, and, and Zach, that's maybe that's typical. You know, as, as Paul wrote, perhaps uh, perhaps the the Holy Spirit had a little bit more of an exclusive ministry in uh, in in moving Paul to write the words that he wrote. Uh, or perhaps, uh, perhaps what we see here uh, in the first two verses is the Lord revealing the process by which his words are given to men who inscripturate them, uh, who pen them down. Uh, the words of God are, are just that. They're, they're the words of God. Uh, the words of God the Father uh, is, is probably how we should understand that. So uh, here you have the revelation of Jesus Christ. So uh, the Lord himself, uh, the Lord Jesus, 
uh, is involved in transmitting these words to John. Look at the next phrase, though. He says, which God gave unto him. Now, remember, whenever you see uh, God in the New Testament, uh, almost always you can see that it's referring to a specific person uh, of the Godhead, of the triune Godhead, uh, and almost always, pretty clearly, it's, it's God the Father. And that's, that's the case here. So uh, you have God the Father uh, giving his words to God the Son uh, to show unto his servants, there's purpose, things which, much com- which must come shortly to pass, Uh, His purpose for doing this, of course, God always acts with purpose. He doesn't act randomly. Uh, These are the words that that Christ has received from the Father. Uh, They're going to be given to John for the purpose uh, that's described here. Uh, And then about halfway through verse 1, John writes, He sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. So uh, that's very interesting, Brother Ray. so there's a couple possibilities here uh, regarding the word angel. So it seemed to be the case that uh, God the Father has given the words to Christ, and then uh, Christ has given the words to John through the ministry of uh, someone who's referred to here as, as an angel. Now, it's, it's possible that it's a literal angel, uh, one of the created angels who, who's involved here, Uh, I would offer that angel is used a little bit uniquely, uh, we can see, uh, in in Revelation. There clearly are literal angels uh, who John is writing of later in the book, carrying out the judgments that the Lord has him to describe. However, I think there's two places earlier in the book where you can see the Lord is using the word angel uh, not quite as literally, for example, he speaks of the angels of the churches. And I will make a case, uh, I'll make a case, not my own case, but uh, that he's referring, he's using that word to refer to the pastors of the church. So uh, I think here, given what we know about the inspiration process, uh, it's worthy of consideration at least uh, that he's using the word angel here to refer to uh, the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, that's something that we're familiar with. Could be a literal angel, could be the Lord himself. Uh, and context kind of helps us to understand that. So there's some precedent for this idea uh, biblically of angel referring to the Lord or to a person, a specific person uh, of the Godhead. Don't want to belabor this, but, but I would offer for your consideration the idea that John is saying, hey, uh, God the Father gave words to God the Son. God the Son uh, gave those words to me through the process of inspiration by who, the person who he's calling uh, the angel or, or the Holy Spirit unto me. That would be consistent with uh, what is revealed regarding the inspiration process elsewhere. Now, Zach, it's just, it's just interesting. I mean, the Lord has seen fit to reveal this. Uh, you may kind of look at that and, and wonder why he's seen fit to do that. Um, but there's, there's a number of possibilities. I just think it's an incredible privilege to be able to see, hey, this is the mechanics of the process by which John reveals uh, these words. Uh, the fact that we, we have a, a window into that process, brother, that's a pretty big privilege. Uh, I, I think that's a, that's a pretty significant privilege. Uh, if, in fact, angel is the Holy Spirit, also you see that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are working in concert 
Uh, as they always do, they, they, they always work cooperatively or in concert as one unified God to accomplish the things uh, that they desire to accomplish. Perhaps that's the idea here. The uh, Lord would have us to see that, yep, there's, there's three persons of the Godhead, but at the end of the day, they're one God working in concert to accomplish the things uh, that, 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 that the Lord desires to accomplish. So uh, that's privilege. Uh, you have some insight here into uh, his purpose, uh, to sh- his audience and, and his purpose, to show unto his servants uh, things which must shortly come uh, to pass. So uh, we'll see churches uh, will be addressed, the churches of John's day uh, specifically, uh, but more generally, the Lord is writing to his people, Brother Ray, who are called his servants. We are sons of God. We've been uh, adopted into the family of God. We uh, share many of the same privileges as even Christ uh, in, in that standing that we found in Christ, but at the same time, we're his servants, and uh, we, we take care not to lose sight of that. So we're the audience, um, and the Lord is desiring to share with us, uh, give us knowledge uh, of things that um, must come to pass uh, shortly. Uh, Zach, some would say, well, it's been a better part of 2,000 years. Is, is that shortly? Well, from the Lord's perspective, uh, a God who is eternal, yeah, 2,000 years could go by and it, it could still be uh, shortly. We have no issue with that. Uh, so uh, we see here the audience allusions uh, uh, to purpose. Uh, verse 3 uh, goes to the Lord's purpose for this book also. A lot of times people say, oh, the, the book of Revelation, it's, it's hard, it's challenging. Uh, and as much as I can understand it, at least, it, it's grievous. It's all, all, all of this judgment. And it's, it's, it, boy, it just it, it weighs on me. Well, that's not the Lord's goal. Uh, that's not his purpose. Uh, what's his purpose? Look, look at verse 3. It says, blessed uh, is he that readeth, they that hear the words of this prophecy, uh, and keep those things which are written, for the time is at hand. Brother Ray, this book, the Lord intends this book to be a blessing uh, to his people. Uh, you stop to think about this, uh, Zach. By the way, you probably should have called on me a lot when you were teaching, uh, and I was, I was there. Uh, that, that would have been your opportunity to get some payback, right? Um, as you think about the tribulation and the uh, you know, the horror of the judgment of the tribulation. And we'll, we'll get a lot of insight and a lot of detail about just how much of a judgment it is and how difficult it will be for people who suffer the tribulation. Um, how is it that knowing those details might be a blessing to you even today? That's a blessing, right? Because of the blood of Christ covering my sin, I, I'm blessed to know I'm not going to experience that. That's my thought. That's my first thought. But you have a couple of thoughts. Uh, and the is that he is just. He is just. Uh, yeah, uh, that's a blessing also. It reveals a, a God who is just. Um, how does it also reveal, Gary, how does, how does understanding the, um, the, the profound difficulty of the tribulation period also reveal that God is loving? Yeah, his purpose for the tribulation is not just to judge, but, but to 
to shake people awake and, and, and to, bring, to bring them to Christ, people who, who refused up, up to the point of, of suffering all the, the, the profound uh, difficulty of the tribulation, right? This is, uh, don't lose sight of that. This is a picture also of the profound love uh, that, that God has for his people. Uh, so Zach, yes, we'll be thankful. It'll be a blessing uh, to be thankful that, hey, as, as we understand the Bible, I'm not going to experience this. What was the second thing you said? Oh, God, it reveals a God who is just, and, and it's a blessing to see uh, God's justice, uh, but also um, to understand that, well, I, as a saved person, someone who's saved prior to the beginning of the tribulation, prior to the rapture, um, I'll not experience this, and I could be thankful. That's a blessing. Um, but those who haven't been saved prior to the beginning of the tribulation, uh, many will be saved, uh, and more than 144,000. 144,000 plus uh, will, in fact, be saved. This is the Lord lovingly stepping into history and involving himself and his angels in, in a profound way uh, to shake the world, to shake people awake, and to bring them uh, to faith in Christ. That's a great love. Uh, and as you understand these things, sure enough, that's, that's going to be uh, a great blessing. Uh, there's other blessings as the Lord is dealing in the early chapters with the seven churches. Um, we'll see that he has an issue. You know, he'll, he'll commend the churches for those things that they have right, but he has an issue uh, with each of them. No doubt that's inscripturated for us because we're at risk of having the same issues. And as we uh, see how the Lord reveals issues in, in the seven churches. Uh, there we have the opportunity to pray and say, hey, Lord, uh, you know, show us. Are, are, we, are we struggling in the same area? Or are we sort of on the road to struggling in that same area? Uh, if so, convict us of that. Give us hearts to get right with you in, in that area. Brother Ray, that'll be a blessing. Uh, if we are convicted and corrected, by the Lord's correction of the seven churches of Asia, that, that'll be a blessing uh, individually, but, but we'll be blessed corporately uh, for that as well. So um, just the first three verses, they're, they're awesome. You, you, you get to see straight into the mechanics of the inspiration, uh, the audience, uh, servants of God, that's us. Uh, the Lord's purpose is, is to be a blessing. Uh, there's an urgency. The time is at hand. Take up these words. Uh, remember, uh, Christ could come. Uh, the rapture could be today. Uh, so these things are to be treated with, with great importance uh, and great urgency. Well, let's keep moving. We have a little bit more time. Uh, verse 4, uh, the, the salutation, the greeting. Uh, to the seven churches that are addressed specifically. Let's just read through the next uh, several verses. John, uh, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was uh, and which is to come, awesome language, and now difficult language, and from the seven spirits which are before his thrones. We'll come back to that in a minute, but remember we dealt with that uh, back in uh, Isaiah 11. You've turned there. Uh, I said, hey, when we get to our study in Revelation, we're going to revisit that. Today's that day. Uh, verse 5, and from Christ Jesus. So the person of the Godhead who has been described in verse 4 is not Christ Jesus, but uh, also from Christ Jesus, uh, who is the faithful witness, 
uh, and the first begotten uh, of the dead. And Gary, I think begotten is also uh, a key word there also. Um, he's, he is the begotten one and the first begotten of the dead. Uh, and the prince of the kings of the earth, uh, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sin in his own blood, uh, and he, forgive me, and hath made us kings uh, and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, there's nothing heavy or grievous, maybe heavy, but nothing grievous about that. That's all, that's all wonderful. There's some difficulty here, uh, but... Um, we can handle it. We have the Holy Spirit and uh, we have all of the scriptures, uh, the completed canon of scripture, and, and we can handle it. Uh, so see first here again, John is writing uh, as the Lord has led uh, to the seven churches uh, which are in Asia. Um, you think about the map, um, the, the region of, of, of modern day Turkey, um, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, uh, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, uh, Laodicea, see in um, verse 11. Uh, we'll see an address to each of these churches. We've already, we've already uh, spoken of that. Uh, see the greeting here in, in verse 1, grace be unto you, grammatically all y'all, right? Grace be unto you uh, and peace. Grace, of course, uh, has, is used two ways in Scripture. One, undeserved or unmerited favor. We're saved by grace through faith. We, uh, we receive the undeserved favor of God when we repent and place our faith in Christ. So we understand that. There's also the idea of strength, grace in the sense of uh, the strength that is available to those who have been saved by grace through faith. Now we become the recipients of not only salvation, but the strength of the Lord, Gary, particularly as we yield to the Lord. Uh, in Ephesians 3 and verse 7, Paul writes, Wherefore I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working uh, of his power. Uh, he's powerful God, Brother Ray, and, and, and he's able to share, uh, to give us strength as, as a God who is a, a powerful God. I believe that's the sense in which John's using grace here. Uh, the, the strength of God unto you all. He's writing to save people. Uh, and so that, that really demands that he's, he's referring to grace in the sense of strength. He's, his desire, his prayer is that the recipients of, of this book would be people who know God's strength. This is um, consistent with Paul's greeting uh, often. Uh, he says, and peace, uh, and peace, uh, writing to people who are saved people, uh, he knows that um, he's writing to people who've been saved by grace through faith and who are now at peace with God the Father. Uh, so Zach, he's, he's not, I don't think he's praying that they would be saved and know, the, know peace with God the Father. He's writing to the servants that save people, right? Um, so it's strength of God uh, and, and peace in their hearts. Now, Brother Ray, I think, you know, you think about this book, recipients of this book are going to need the strength of God. They're going to need a peace from God also uh, as they deal with some of these things. And so the Lord, uh, through Paul, is, uh, forgive me, through, through John, praying that recipients uh, who read this book would know strength uh, and peace from the Lord as they do. 
Uh, that might be part of the blessings, by the way, that verse 3 refers to. Uh, Blessed is he that readeth and hear and keep these words. Um, uh, part of the blessing could be grace and peace uh, from the Lord. Uh, and then in the next part of verse 3, he says, from him which is and which was and which is to come. Now, we, we, we usually would think of that as probably a reference to Christ, except that in verse 5, there's and from Jesus Christ. Uh, Zach, and so the person to which he's referring in the second half of verse 4 probably isn't Christ, and if it's not Christ, it'd be God the Father, right? So we have reference to God the Father back in verse 1. We have reference to Christ uh, in verse 5, and so uh, he's probably referring to God the Father, if not the Godhead in general. Uh, this is probably a reference to, um, uh, to either God the Father or the Godhead in general, the Lord, uh, if you will. Uh, he was, is, and was, and is to come. Uh, Gary, what, what does that mean? He is, and was, and is to come. He always was, he always will be. The Lord is eternal, right? He's, he's eternal. Um, his, his, his name, Jehovah, which is usually translated Lord, uh, has that idea. It had, the, the name has that literal idea sort of baked into it, uh, if you will. Uh, and then this difficulty, we'll, we'll look at this and then we'll stop for this morning. Uh, so uh, tail end of verse 4, and from the seven spirits uh, which are before his throne. And so uh, what is that? Uh, uh, help us out, Lord. Uh, what is that? I think there's, there's some possibilities here. This could be a reference to angels. Um, this could be a reference to the Holy Spirit. Uh, this could be a reference to Christ and the seven spirits of the Lord that Isaiah prophesied would reside upon him. Are you there in Isaiah 11 also? Are you there? Did you mark that spot? Go there, please. Um, let's see that, please. Uh, I believe that uh, we do well to consider that this is an allusion back to uh, the prophecy of Isaiah uh, in Isaiah 11. So we'll see this. Uh, we'll pray. We'll stop this morning. But this is, this is important to understand. Isaiah 11, uh, verse 1, There shall come forth a rod uh, out of the stem of Jesse, uh, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. So we, we, that verse we've, we've dealt with. We understand this is a prophecy regarding the lineage of the Messiah, be one of the ways by which the Messiah could be identified, his lineage. And then verse 2, Isaiah 11:2, 2, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. So um, the Messiah, the Christ, what does Christ mean? What does Christ mean? It means a Messiah or anointed one, right? So we know that when Christ began his earthly ministry, uh, well, just before he began his ministry, he was baptized and the Holy Spirit came and descended upon him at his baptism, which immediately preceded his earthly ministry, right? So sure enough, the, the, the Lord Jesus, who is the Christ, was anointed with the Holy Spirit to empower his earthly ministry. And Gary, we understand Christ didn't need that, um, he didn't need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's as much God and as powerful as the Spirit of God is. 
Uh, but this, this no doubt is an example for us. Uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit came upon Christ to empower, to enable his, holy, uh, his earthly ministry. Uh, Christ voluntarily laid aside the uh, exercise of his own attributes and relied upon the strength and power of the Holy Spirit, no doubt as an example to us to do the same. Zach, that's important because we are not God. We are not the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. And so we are absolutely dependent upon the Holy Spirit to carry out our earthly ministry. So it's an example, uh, no doubt. It's, it's also prophesied. Here, Isaiah prophesies, again, verse 2, um, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Uh, and then you have, well, so that would be one of seven uh, references to this spirit. Uh, number one, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, comma, the spirit of wisdom, that would be the second reference to the spirit here. Uh, and number three, understanding. Number four, the spirit of counsel. Number five, and might. Uh, and number six, the spirit of knowledge, and number seven, uh, of the fear of the Lord. So this would seem to be seven descriptors or seven descriptions of the Holy Spirit uh, who would anoint Christ um, at the uh, inauguration uh, of his earthly ministry. What do we know about seven in Scripture? What do we know about seven in Scripture, Brother Garcia? Completion or perfection, right? Completion uh, or, or perfection. Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, I wrote, uh, uh, I have a note in my Bible that this uh, perhaps refers to the sevenfold perfection, uh, complete, completeness, perfection, uh, the sevenfold perfection uh, of the Holy Spirit. Is, is um, the Lord any less than perfect? Absolutely perfect. Uh, is that true for the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Uh, the, the, the Hebrew uh, mindset uh, through Scripture came to understand the idea that, that the Lord uses seven to convey completeness uh, or, or perfection. And so uh, this, is, this is probably the idea. This is the prophesied Holy Spirit who would anoint well, the prophecy that the Holy Spirit would anoint Christ, uh, the seven perfections or seven descriptions of the perfect uh, Holy Spirit is probably uh, what's in view here. So if you go back to verse 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace uh, be unto you and peace from him which is and which was uh, and which is to come, the Father, God the Father, uh, and from the seven spirits which are before the throne. Uh, this may very well be an allusion to the Holy Spirit in his uh, seven descriptions from Isaiah 11, uh, and from Jesus Christ, who is all the things that John then uh, reveals uh, regarding Christ. I think that's, that's, that's a very good way to understand these verses. Why? Well, it's consistent with what Isaiah prophesied, which we saw a year ago, but not that long ago. We saw that in Isaiah uh, 11. By the way, um, that understanding would also be consistent with verses 1 and 2, right? Where 
pretty clearly, you have a reference to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit being called an angel, uh, I think poetically by John. So uh, each member of the triune Godhead working cooperatively to give forth the scripture. Uh, and then in verse 4, references uh, to the individual members of the Godhead, the triune Godhead, uh, again with a very poetic reference to the Holy Spirit. Poetic reference to the Holy Spirit in verses 1 and 2. Poetic reference to the Holy Spirit in verse 4 uh, as well. Zach, why might the Lord have chosen to use these kind of poetic references to the Holy Spirit here? I don't know exactly, uh, but um, it is poetic. It is beautiful. It does cause us to kind of stop and, and think on these things, to chew on these things, uh, and, you know, the whole book is going to cause us to stop and think on these things uh, and chew on these things. I think maybe one of the Lord's purposes for these poetic references to the Holy Spirit that are a little bit challenging uh, right here in the first four or five verses uh, is, is preparing us to stop and slow down uh, and to setting the pace for the book, I think. You, you can't read this book quickly and expect to understand that. That is established in the first four verses. You're gonna to have to stop and consider and compare scripture with scripture and chew on these things if you're gonna to hope to understand them as the Lord uh, desires that we would understand them. Um, we, we experience that truth um, in the first several verses. Uh, and so Brother Gary, that's what we'll do. Uh, we'll go slowly, we'll compare scripture with scripture, uh, we'll chew on these things, uh, we can talk about these things outside of class, kind of challenge each other and uh, discuss these things and uh, always be in the business of asking the Lord to help us to see what he would have us to see. Does that sound right? Good? All right, we'll stop there and pray. Father, thank you, uh, Lord, for this book. Uh, thank you, Lord, for wonderful truths, encouraging truths that we can see uh, even in the first several verses of this book. Father, I pray that as you desire, verse 3, that our study through this book would be a blessing. Uh, I know it will challenge us. That's a good thing. Uh, I know, Father, that we'll be challenged to, uh, to chew on your words, to uh, compare Scripture with Scripture, to work at this a bit, to go slowly and carefully uh, and ask for your leading along the way. Uh, Lord, help us to do just that. Lord, help us to see the things that you would have us to see. Lord, help us to understand as you would have us to understand. Uh, and Lord, help us to be blessed just exactly as you desire to bless us. Father, thank you for this book. Uh, I pray that you use this study uh, in the coming weeks and months. Lord, pray for the next hour uh, that you will use the 11 o'clock hour as you desire. Pray for dads today. Pray that dads be blessed today. Uh, have good Father's Day today. Lord, I love you. I thank you. I pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thanks so much for being here this morning. See you back shortly. Unsaved state, he was ordained. And in 1735, he and his brother John sailed to America with a group of Moravians. Unsaved state, he was ordained. And in 1735, he and his brother John sailed to America unsaved state he was ordained and in 1735 he and his brother John sailed to America with a group of Moravians
unsaved state unsaved state unsaved state unsaved state he was ordained and in 1735 he and his brother John sailed to America with a group of Moravians as missionaries to the colony of Georgia <laughs> 